what I think I want to talk about first is because Charity's not here, um, she, I'm sure, will, when she comes next week, kind of pick up some of the things that I may not cover. She'll listen to this, and if she had some great insight on some of the pieces that she was, because she was very excited to come. Um, Psalm 23 is, is one of those um, psalms that you just, you know so well that you know too well. And so I know she was excited to be able to talk. And because she's not here, um, she'll, she'll be all stored up and ready to go for next week. But what I wanted to tell you about who I am, I'm Deb Blackman, and I usually, I, I, I do teach on the Wednesday morning. Um, and what I told the group last week, which is what we're gonna do here, is when, when we're in a Bible study, some of the best ways to study is to treat it like a study group. And that's what we'll be doing tonight. So even though I might be the one up here, it will be, um, I hope you'll find it really, I know you'll find it interactive, whether you like it or not is, is gonna be then, you know, your challenge of, we'll, we'll, I'll have a lot of pauses and we'll talk through, um, what does that mean? And what does your Bible say? And I use a lot of virtual, um, on, uh, not online stuff, but um, a particular, uh, app or app that I have it in a couple of spots and we may look up a couple of things uh, words in Greek or in Hebrew and stuff like that so we'll do a Bible st we'll do a Bible study like a Bible study group at the same time when we're in God's word there's always that the point is when we're in God's word we're figuring out what God has revealed to us who he is and so we'll f we'll see more of who God is how it applies to us I don't know if we'll always end up with a warm fuzzy at the end of a Bible study, but we will paint that stuff on our heart and God will pull it out at all the right time. So that's what we'll expect tonight. I'm going to open in prayer and then we're going to go around the room and say who we are and why we're here. So. Lord, we thank you for um, this day and you've brought us here in a, in a divine way. Um, and while we all think we had our schedules set up just so that we would be here, we just thank you that you know we're here and we thank you for the word that you have revealed to us and look forward to just chatting as women with your word open and we thank you for um, what you have for us tonight pray for protection for uh, us as we go home uh, i pray for healing for charity um, for just the the quick a quick illness and that she'll be back on her feet in jesus name amen okay so, small group, how many of us are there? Uh, nine of us. So let's go around real quick and um, tell us who you are and when were you first acquainted with Psalm 23 and whatever it might have meant to you. So again, I'm Deb Blackman, Psalm 23. I grew up in the church and memorized it when I was little. But I think one of the first times that it maybe meant more to me was at a funeral, at a grandparent's funeral, and then just because I was trying to honor a grandparent, we put it in our wedding, which as I look back now, I don't think that's really wedding verses. And maybe I, I think so now, but maybe not so much then. That's it. I'm Bethany. Um, I also grew up in the church, so I probably memorized it when I was like seven years old. And it's always King James when you memorize Psalm 23, isn't yeah. it? I mean, that's, yeah. isn't, okay, yeah. yeah. Great. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've heard it a lot, but probably the most impact 
Mm. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's how God weaves it in. Yep. Yep. It is on this particular one. Yeah. So I love it and I always am interested in the new study to get the perspective. Wonderful. Good. So tonight actually I'll I'll rely on you two to to bring out some things. Um, I've studied it, but that's good somebody else has studied it in a in a mm-hmm. non funeral perspective or old person perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and that was kind of the first time that I heard it. I was growing Catholic, so it's like, um, but I consider it my salvation verse because oh. then, um, three weeks later, my mom was gravely ill. I found out she wasn't going to make it. I went to the chapel and I just asked the pastor, I was like, the Lord is my shepherd. Like, where do I find that? And he helped me find it in the Bible. And that was when I just gave my life to the Lord. Oh. I guess. Wow, that's awesome. Did your mom pass away? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. I just think um, the co-op school thing is like she died in the um, hospital auditorium. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. What a story. That's cool. No. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And I'm wearing a mask because I have a blood license. So I appreciate the teaching teachers out there because I'm trying to yeah. protect myself and school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. Good. That's good. The rest of us for the winter, because of the winter, spend a lot of time at home and closed in too. So, <laughs> so we're all sharing some of your pain. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'll bet it is. I'll bet it is. Okay. Who was here last week with with charity? How many? Which of you? Couple. Just some of you. Okay. So as a quick review, can you get us caught up to where this group is? Because I want to. I want to review a couple things, but I don't know what you guys talked about. Plus, that will give us, get us started with everybody else. So what did you guys talk about last week? Yep, yep. So we were, yeah, as we talk about it these four weeks, we're, we wanted to tie in Psalm 22 and Psalm 24. So as you read all of it, in the first blush, as you read it, you kind of go, I could make up why it all connects, but there is a level of connection. So what did you guys talk about last week on Psalm 22? With Matthew 27, yeah. and what goes on in Matthew 27. Yep. So let's let's pull up Psalm 22 real quick. We won't spend very much time there, but let's go to, to Psalm 22. And um, if we had more time, we'd read through it, but I'll just pull in a couple of verses so that we can get a good, a good feel for this. So we, we see that first verse, and it says, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? So where do we, where does that, if we remember the Easter story, where do we, where do we go? Yeah, I forgot it was Matthew 27 already in the last week. Um, so we know that, that those were Christ's words on the cross. And what did you guys talk about as far as this ver- these sets of verses tied to David and tied to Christ? Do you, ha- do you have anything else that you kind of observed about, about that? Nothing in particular, just that it was a it, good tie-in. I mean... 
tied everything to yeah yeah as you read through yep as you read through psalm 22 and i would encourage all of you to do that with um, the account of the crucifixion right beside you um, there are many different places in the old testament where we see prophecy of what was going to happen at the crucifixion but none of them in such a compact spot like this one but it stops in the middle of 22. So we go from Psalm 22, verse 1, and we, as you glance through the verses, you can kind of see um, a, a person at that point in time um, indicating he's in distress, he's, uh, people are mocking him, he's <coughs> feeling like a worm. Um, he recognizes that God is God, and it goes on and on i'm poured out like water and there's dogs around me i mean again constantly a quick reminder that you're seeing the crucifixion but you get to verse let's look at verse 21 and 22 so verse 21 can somebody read that in whatever version you've got just just 21 okay so this is still a, a supplicant trying to, to ask God to save him, but it's st you're starting to see a slight turn in that second sentence. You have, I can't remember what you just, what word you used, Tracy, what did it, what was it say? You've rescued me. What do other versions say? You have, you have, second half, what is it? Answered me, what else are you seeing? Verse 21, the second half. So you've rescued me, you've answered me, saved me, heard me. So there's a turning. Then you jump into verse 22 and it says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And from there on, we go into this praise chorus that goes verse to verse. What did you guys talk about last week or as you, if you've studied it, what in that last half of 22, what's going on there? What is the time frame that King David wrote this, David wrote this, what would that set of verses be talking about? You need to take a minute to glance through, do so. From 22 on, what is this time frame? Yeah, I mean, we, we can clearly see that if, it's, if the first part was prophetic about Jesus, we can clearly see he's alive again. I mean, there is something that has, has happened. What's going on then as, as you see a buildup? So let's, let's kind of glance through who all this person that's being talked about in this psalm. He's going to be talking to brothers and congregation. You see that in verse 22. Then let's move down a little bit. He's going to be talking about, in verse 27, he's going to be talking about um, uh, the ends of the earth. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations. So we're getting bigger. So we're talking to a local group at first, my, the brothers, the congregation. Gets a little bigger. The, the, the nations gets a little bigger again in verse 28. We're talking about kings and rulers Verse 29 gets bigger again. It's kind of all the prosperous. It just keeps, keeps growing and growing until you get, uh, uh, get to verse 30. Look at that one. It shall be uh, prosperous. Somebody else read verse 30. I want to hear different um, voices here. So it's, to, uh, and what other versions, what have, what have you got in other versions on that verse? Verse 30, the very end. Okay, so it's, it's this future, and then you go to verse 31. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. So this thing has started out, you know, there's a resurrection if it's a prophetic set of verses. And it goes local, then it gets bigger to the nations, to the people yet unborn. So some um, commentaries that I was reading 
look at this last half as God's kingdom and in its manner of, in the church, it's, it's growing. It has grown from the very beginning. His church started it when he arose and it just kept growing and it's, it's not done. Then you get to that very last phrase in verse 31. Did you, did you study that last week? Because this was for me one of the biggest ahas on how this, all these things kind of fit together. That last phrase, um, the whole verse, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. The, the phrase he has done it has a very interesting tie to something else that Christ said on the cross. Um, so I have, to, I have to take you through a little bit of a translation process. Oh, I'm so tempted. I'm a, I'm a whiteboard person, so I may end up there here in just a second. So I'll, I'll watch your eyes, and if you all go, I get it, then I won't, I won't go up there. But if you don't, I'm going to have to draw something. All right. This verse was written in what language? Most of you are church people. So what language, language would, I'm sorry, this, this psalm, what, what was the original language of this psalm? Hebrew. So those Hebrew people, King David included, would have been chattering in Hebrew and talking in Hebrew and writing in Hebrew. David lived about 1,000 year BC. That's when he wrote it. In about the 500 years later, about, I'm, I'm being really rough on these ages, the Israelites, by that point in time, had ignored the kings, had ignored, ignored God's word through the prophets, and they were taken off by the Babylonians at the end, at the end around, around 500 BC. And when they went off in exile, they eventually came back, we kind of remember this Babylonian exile and them coming back and all of that. But when they came back, they didn't come back with so much Hebrew coming out of their mouth. They still had Hebrew that they might have been reading, but they weren't coming out of their mouth so much with Hebrew. They were coming out more with what they picked up in Babylon, which was the Aramaic language, and they came back a little bit, a few, couple hundred years later, with some, some Greek talking. So this psalm was written in Hebrew, and they could understand it in the year 1000 B.C., but by the time we get to 500 B.C., 300 B.C., a little closer to when Christ was born, they're not so much talking and chattering in Hebrew. They're talking and chattering in Greek and Aramaic. So somewhere in just before Christ was born, there was a translation into the Greek language, and that was called the Septuagint. And some of you will go, yeah, I, I, I know what that is. So about 100 years, a little more than that, the Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And the reason I'm bringing you all the way to that is what is the language of the Greek? What is the language of the New Testament? What is it? Greek. So now we have this Greek Old Testament in the Septuagint. It wasn't the original language, but that's where it was because now the common people could see it. And we have this Greek New Testament. Now I'm finally down to Greek to Greek. The word at the very end of verse 31, he has done it, is a Greek word in the Septuagint, to telestai. Does that ring anybody's bell on where you've heard to telestai before in the Greek New Testament? It is finished. It is the word, it is finished on the cross. So in Greek, in the translation of this, that last word, he has done it, it is finished, is what Christ said on the cross. He starts with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as a supplicant? And at the end of this same psalm, in a Greek to Greek translation, it's the same word, to telestai. It is finished. It is written across there. It is paid. I'm, you know, I, as a criminal, I can walk around with a paper that says I, I, I'm paid for. Wow. So here's, here is this fabulous psalm that says in the first two-thirds what Christ, you know, is a prophecy, what Christ did for us. Then there was 
a resurrection, and then there is this church that expands and expands and expands, and Christ says, it, it is finished, I have done it, I have done it. And then we go to that next psalm that's divinely appointed to be there, and we start in, the Lord is my shepherd. So he has every right at us, and he has every reason to take care of us because of what he's gone through. I love, I turned into loving this psalm going into the Psalm 23. You like it? Isn't that to tell us I thing like that? That one's my mind-blowing thing. To, oh, okay. I think, well, I know if I wrote it down right. Let me go to my backwards notes because I, I wrote it down right last week. It's cool. I mean, it's a cool verse, word, so we, let's, go, let's get it right. It is spelled... Uh, my, my thing self-corrected and didn't write down to tell. I think it's spelled T-E-T-E-L-E-S-T-A-I. I think that's it. T-E-T-E-L-E-S-T-A-I. Did I say it the same way both times? Something like that. Yeah, I think that's what it is. So you'll have to, A-I on the end, to telestai. It is finished. He has done it. So that was one of the coolest things I, when I was studying Psalm 22 that I ran across. Let's go to Psalm 23. And let's read, let's read Psalm 23 together. Six verses, um, 12 different little phrases, if you kind of think of it that way. Each, one, each verse has two, two phrases. So if six different voices can do it, just read a verse at a time, I'll start. Psalm 23, 1, a psalm of David. Oh, wait a minute, I've got to convert to King James. Hold on. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Just anybody, just the next verse. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Amen. All right. So we're just going to take that very first phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. And so we have, to, we have to pause for just a minute and get a good understanding of what a shepherd means to sheep. But we have to start with sheep behavior. Are any of you guys farmers? Because I research, but I am not a firsthand person in any way on a farm. I'm a city girl. You a farmer? I know, but, but you'll understand grazing and stuff. Oh, goodness, are you really? You've touched a sheep. You've gotten closer than I have, I think. Oh. They aren't very smart, from what I understand. So, and then you raised, are you a farmer? Do you, are you have farming background? You grew up on a farm? What kind of animals? Okay. Okay. They, they aren't, that's what I understand. Anybody else? Okay, so we're going to re rely on the resident animal people. Like I said, I did the research, but I really, I'm just saying words, so if I don't say it right, correct me, because I will not be offended. But here's what I understand about sheep. So I'm going to give you three things right now that will help us understand these first three verses and the first 12 things. So we're going to talk about how they love to be in a flock, in a bunch. We're going to talk about how they're fearful. And we're going to talk about how they follow a leader and, and what they, what what their tendency is around that. So let's just, I just want to give us some characteristics and we'll just think about sheep for just a second because then that's going to make a whole much, bunch more sense on why we, as we're being called sheep in the Bible, why we need a shepherd. So let's talk about them in bunches. And again, if you guys, if you guys have a little background, especially one, which one of you said you had a relative that had sheep? Okay, so maybe you'll understand this a little bit more. They, sheep, 
they aren't very smart, but they do, they do love groups. They are gregarious and fun is what I understand. They love to play. There's, if you look out there for um, little lambs, like newborn lambs, you're gonna see them playing. And I, I saw other articles that said that they actually have, it's almost like play dates, play groups. They, they will group themselves into um, somewhat ages sometimes, but more their families. They, they stick around with those they know. And there was one sweet story where there was um, a couple of little lambs that were born together. They were twins. And they were, for whatever reason, separated immediately. They went into two different flocks. And I think it was two years later, those two flocks came back together. The two little lambs now, I mean, they were sheep now, found each other and stood nose to nose for 30 minutes, which was an unusual behavior, which was to that person that was writing it was behavior that would indicate um, familiarity. So they stood nose to nose, not moving for 30 minutes. Isn't that the sweetest thing? So I think, I know they're dumb, but, but they love each other. I thought that was pretty clever. I thought that was really sweet. So they, so they, they will bond. There, there's a lot of good, you know, need to be together. But they're fearful. This is the second trait we'll talk about today very easily startled. The eyes of a sheep are on each side of their head, and because of the way their eyeballs work, they have nearly uh, nearly 360-degree vision. I, I, I saw uh, one estimate said 330-degree estimate. So if they were just standing here, they could see, basically, they could almost see their behind. And with a slight movement of their head, they, are, they can see basically all the way around them all the time. So they they move their heads so that they can see what they're doing. And when they're grazing, they're not comfortable unless they can see at least four to five other uh, sheep or lambs, and particularly more comfortable if it's in their own little grouping. So back to that, they love their family and their group. They love being in a big herd, um, but they particularly like their own. And when they're grazing, they're not comfortable unless they've got others around them, especially from their own family. So they'll, they'll move around to try to, to find that. They bolt real easily. So if something comes in to scare them, have, did you ever see that with, if something would come along or a dog or a, they just follow, they would just leave. Now speaking of following, that's the third trait we'll talk about today. They do follow easily, but none of the lamb, none of the sheep are, um, they called it, what, what I read was they are not, um, there's not a lot of voluntary leadership, so they don't take on leadership traits very easily. There isn't any one lamb that, or, or sheep that, is, that grows up as leader. Now, there's a, there, was, there were a few articles that I read where if it was during the mating season or if it had to do with feeding, you could get some, um, a little more aggression from them, but not necessarily leadership. So these are not leaders, they're all a bunch sound like lemmings because they talked about if one sheep, they, they easily follow. Let me keep um, accentuating that. So if you've got, if you can direct the first sheep to go in a certain way, you'll get the rest to go, which is why it only takes, you know, a couple of dogs and a couple of people walking around to get the sheep to go because you just drive it by the first one. If that first one goes over the cliff, the rest of them will follow. They just don't, they have no smarts built into them. They just, they just follow. Um, they do have, but w and when they follow, they have excellent memories of the visual human face. How they knew this, I don't really know, but whatever tests the vets, the vets might have conducted, they have good memories of faces and very good memories of voices. So when they do find their leader, uh, their human shepherd, they will follow. So... You th yeah, did you, do you have any experience in? No, I haven't thought about it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it reminds you of that verse. I, I had to pull it up. John 10, 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. So it's not a surprise that sheep are a picture of us. Sheep are mentioned 500 times in the Bible. And that's more than any other animal 
uh, pictured for any other reason in the Bible. Got lots of images of God as our shepherd. Um, we many different verses, and we if we had enough time, which I, I don't want to, I want to get to something in particular, and we yeah, we're not going to use the time for that. Um, but I do want us to read one set of verses that talks about um, Jesus or God as our as our uh, Jesus as our shepherd. God giving God as the fa- God the Father gave the Son the flock. Let's go to John ten, and we're going to see. I'm talking to a lot of well churched people at this point, so we we get that the Lord that there is a there is a uh, connection of sheep, us being sheep to Christ being the shepherd. But I think one of the things that is a great reminder is this one of um, the, you know, predestined from the, the get-go that, that Christ would have this flock. So if somebody can read um, John 10, 27 through 30, we'll see how, how this kind of plays out. So one of the things that are the, is the trademark of, of a lamb that, that ties to this is as we become Christ's, we're marked with, with, we're mark, we're marked with Christ's attributes as we become more like him. A sheep have the, on their ear an indication of who the owner is. They clip the ear in different patterns, just like a brand of some sort. And um, so but with the right shepherd, that little lamb is very content, very reliant on that, that shepherd. That lamb can't change its, its master. They're, a, they're a, a subject of that master, so it's really important that they have a good shepherd. And when we recognize that Yahweh, the Jehovah, is our shepherd, it makes all the difference in how we're going to then read the rest of this psalm. On the other hand, others in the world that aren't following Christ are not a part of the flock. So let's just, on John 10, let's just go to the verse above it that we didn't read. John 10, 26. If somebody can read that verse, it's just the indication of the condition of those that, that aren't his. What does that say? Somebody can read that. But you do not believe me because you are not among my sheep. And that was Christ talking to the Jews that were around him and uh, saying, asking him to prove himself. And um, just a good indication of that. Any thoughts? I prattled on a little bit about that connection with sheep. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's going to call you. That's great. We have to know his voice. We have to know his word. Yeah. That is a great observation. Anything else? Any other thoughts come to mind on that part? Let's go to the next phrase. I, w- I shall not want. I, I have no need. I shall not want. This, this particular statement as we are going to look at the rest of the psalm, this is actually the summary statement. So it, this is the hinge part that the rest of it just ex- explodes out from. And it is almost like that first verse It is obviously, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have no unmet need. I have no need that has gone unnoticed. I have nothing that I, sh- I should be not content with. That doesn't mean I, I'm not going to do those things, but there is no reason for me to be discontent. Every need I have is met. And then it's gonna, we're going to go on and see how different, very specific needs are met in the life of a, sh- of a lamb and how it then ties to us. So this one's just a summary statement. Um, I think 
one of the, the biggest lies that we can um, fall victim to, and especially as women, because we compare, we're such a comparative kind of a creature, that we fall victim to Satan's lies. That's the old shepherd. But he, he does try to develop that discontent and tries to get us convinced that we've been unnoticed, that, that something that should be ours, that needs to be ours, and isn't ours. And it could, it could be um, you know, the broadest of different things. It could be um, our social situation, our financial situation, our health, our, our just anything. And he knows. He knows where we're at. And that should make us, I mean, we, could, we should be able to close the book and go, okay, I get it, and go home. But praise the Lord, he gives us more, more details so we really get it. Thoughts on that? Thoughts on that little phrase? Anything that you've run into before that, that's been meaningful to you? When I was visiting with Charity just before um, she couldn't come tonight, and she was so bummed, she said, here was her, her comment, she said, and I was all ready to teach on this, and I'm going to have to preach to myself. She said she needed to be content not only in the what, but in the how. And so in the in the what, you know, she so wanted to be here and have be able to have this group learn more about about this psalm. And in the how, it wasn't going to be her tonight. And so she had to, to l- preach to herself and be content on that. I thought that was a good one. Nothing on that one? Oh, uh-huh. whatsoever circumstance to be content yeah 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 we have to keep paraphrasing that i mean i mean we have to keep making that sentence keep flipping it around you know i i have no lack i I shouldn't have a want i have no lack i have no unmet need i mean how else can we how many ways can we paraphrase that we need to preach that to ourselves yeah yeah it's a huge statement. Yep, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's ice out here. The, somebody bumped into my car. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the dome light's on. <laughs> yeah. We are. We are. And, and that's why I, I do think, you know, I think we in American Christianity have had, and some of us are older than some of you, we've had it really easy. I know it's, it's getting darker in the U.S., but we still have the ability to be very open about our faith if we, if we want it. And we're very bright. And look at all the stuff we can, we can learn from. And look at our technology. And yet, the Bible still says we're dumb little sheep. And we are no matter, no matter what. And we have to remember, remember that, that I, I need to be that reliant and that content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he goes on, and we, we learn in the next two verses four more explanatory statements about because the Lord is my shepherd, I have no need. So here are four things that are further explanation of it. So we're going to talk about the, those four different things. And if we had been a bigger group, I was going to have us divide up. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm thinking to myself how I want to... Uh, I still want us to do that just the tiniest bit. I'm going to do a, I'm going to do it a little more creatively. How many of you love creative writing? Cuz I do you? Good. Cuz I hate it. But I'm going to make everybody do what what you say? I'm a language arts Oh, you do. Well, you are in for a treat. All the rest of us are going to suffer through it. Okay. 
Here's what I want you to do. I was going to have us talk a little more at the tables, but instead I'm going to have us quietly write something. I want you to look at those next four statements, and here they are. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Ah. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So before we actually study what those four statements have in them, and we, uh, we are going to, when I'm done here, we're going to tear out a few of the words, look at it, in it at them in the Hebrew, and look at sheep's behavior. But before we do that, I want you to, um, we're going to take a few minutes where I'll play some music real softly, and you choose one or more of the statements and write it out in a different way that you understand it to be. What is your understanding right now of any of those four statements? So you've already got a little bit of a platform. Because the Lord is our shepherd, we don't have any unmet need. And here's four ways he meets our needs. I want you to take one statement, and if you get enough time, you go to a second one, any of them, and write out in your own words, or I don't care if it's poetry, I don't care if it's just bullet points, which is really more my style. Um, what does that mean? What do you understand it to mean today, either at a general level or for you personally? And we'll take maybe just six or seven minutes. We won't take very long. I'll play music so we can not hear ourselves breathe. Everybody got what they're supposed to be doing? Write it on your paper, little slips of paper, whatever you got. I'm a, my background is business, my work background is business stuff and um, not, <laughs> not, lots of words. Um, love to chatter, but man, when it comes to writing I'm, and journaling, that is really difficult for me. So I find my way around bullet points and stuff like that. Was this an easy exercise for any of you? Echo, it was easy for you. How about the rest of you? Do you like to journal and, and write thoughts halfway in between? sometimes yeah okay well good so there'll be some some good insight that maybe you ha you have so this this was just an exercise to get kind of a little bit of a brain dump of how do you view it right now and then I'm going to talk through each of the four phrases and then I want you to share if that was your phrase that was the one you wanted and what what did you think about it um, let's talk about that first one he maketh me to lie down in green pastures that first whole phrase he maketh me to lie down in the in the actual Hebrew manuscripts that have been discovered, that's actually one word. There's not a whole bunch of words in there. It's just one word. Um, how they stretched it all out, I don't know, just to make it make sense and make it flow. But it's, it's one word that talks about um, lying, just you know, lying down and some of the other words that come with it. Whoops, I'm up on the wrong spot. Is to crouch or to recline or to repose. Um, it, it's a common enough word. It's not like it's any special word, but it, it is just one thought process of he makes me lie down. There's something restful and reposeful about it. And then the next couple of phrases, green pastures, has that connotation of it being newer pastures, the, the best of pastures. He, so when Christ, as our shepherd, meets our need, it's not with just old stuff that's around. It, it's whatever is new and appropriate for us. And the sheep will never rest in a pasture unless they are completely um, contented and have no fear. And there's all, as we already mentioned, they're very skittish, but they have four primary um, things that make them fearful. Um, that, that, sorry, that make them not be able to rest. And one is if they are fearful, if they, they do in that ability, you know, in their ability to see 360, if they do see or sense um, something coming upon them, it, they have to be free of fear. They have to be free from um, relational friction. And this one was kind of a weird one. In order for them to rest, they can't, you know, be all anxious about, uh, you know, one ram thinking another ram's trying to take his little sweetie. So there, there has to be some, some contentedness about their relationships around them. There can't be any friction. They have to be free from pests. And um, this was, uh, we'll talk about this when we're going to be, uh, Charity will talk about this, I'm hoping, next week when you get to talking about the oil and how it cleans out all kinds of different 
orifices on their face and the bugs that those poor little lambs are, are accustomed to. Um, they, the pests are very common and nasty around sheep and can kill them. And so they have to be free from that. And then the last thing, they have to be free from, from the day-to-day -day hunger and, and um, other you know, needs that they might have, thirst and things like that. So as we think about sheep in those four different areas that a particular shepherd was outlining, saying that they have to be free from these things, it reminds us of, uh, reminds us, of us and our need to, to not have those things present with us in order for us to rest. And yet, we always have those little things behind us. So it, we have to rely on our shepherd to constantly be taking care of those things. And that was the point of this person who is a shepherd and was writing these things out saying that sheep could have fear right there in their flock, but the minute the shepherd appears and the sheep know the shepherd is nearby, they immediately rest. There is just this restfulness that comes over them, just like, just like us, as we should be anyway. Who chose that one as one of the things they wanted to just kind of expand on and enjoy? Anybody use that first phrase and be willing to share either what you wrote or just a thought about it? Yeah, Carrie, Carrie share what you shared, what you thought. That's awesome. Yeah, and that is another thing. He does determine where we're going to rest. He picks out the green pasture. Anybody else choose that one? Let's look at the next one. Oh, wait, I had one more note on this one. This picture of lying down to rest, um, it, the, back to that lamb again, they have to be fully fed and satisfied before they're willing to lie down because otherwise they are restless. It's kind of back to that last point. They are restless if they aren't fully satisfied. Th so this is, a, this is a fully satisfied little lamb in a place where there's abundant supply. So lambs are a little, sheep are a little nervous about getting their, their, their meal. And they're, they're constantly wandering. They're constantly grazing. And for them to rest means they, they have no fear and they're satisfied. They're, they're fully satisfied. He's led them to the right spot. They're content. I wrote down, again, I, I just bullet point, because I have confidence in my shepherd, I have contentment in my circumstances. That's what that one ended up meaning to me. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Don't read it yet, but who did, did any of you pick that one to kind of expand on a little bit? Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. So let's look at these words that are, that are on this one. He leadeth me beside the still waters. The word leadeth in this verse, or he leads, see Psalm 20, or uh, uh, verse, 20, verse 2, and it has the word lead, and then verse 3 also has the word lead. You, you guys see that? Verse 2 has the word lead. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Yep. And then verse 3 also has the word lead. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Those are actually two different words in Hebrew. Now, in my King James translation, it's leadeth both times. Is it the same word in any other? I could flip over to ESV real quick. What is it in some others? Um, in NIV, it's lead beside still waters. Yeah, that. Beside quiet waters and then guides me in paths of righteousness. Okay, and that, okay, what else? Is it, is that okay, leads and guides. There is a little bit of connotation that's different between those two, those two actions. In the leading beside still waters, he, the, the word itself, well, let me grab the word. Um, in verse two, it's a Hebrew word. Uh, we're not gonna, because the, the people of Israel don't speak Hebrew anymore, I'm not even going to try. So it's, it's something in here. Um, it means to run with a sparkle, to flow, to conduct, to protect, to, 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 to sustain. So it is leads up to a still waters, lets them drink. The other one, which we'll talk about in just a little bit, is a little more aggressive. I'm, it's guiding, transporting into exile, moving them someplace. So... They're both leading, 
ones maybe leading a little more aggressively to move and get out of a place and into another place. So we, we think of these in two different ways a tiny bit. So he leads me beside still waters. And um, little lambs um, have three sources of water. Apparently they can, they like to get, the shepherd likes to get them out early in the morning, and this one I found interesting, so that they can get the dew off the grass. So apparently in some manner, sheep can absorb a lot of the dew if they just, they just put their little muzzle down there and move along and suck it up or something I, like that. So just the very simple dew that comes every morning. And when I read that, and by the way, when I keep saying this shepherd, did Charity talk at all about a book that she and I both read? There, this is, don't run out and, and, and get it. It's not, it's good, but you can find excerpts on, online. This book is not this big. This author has written three different books, and this is all three combined. This much is about Psalm 23, and he is a pastor and a former sheep herder in the, in the western U.S. And he really does, it's kind of more devotional than it is super deep, but it's a pretty nice little thing. You can find excerpts, on, excerpts online. His last name's Keller, Philip Keller. The shepherd looks at the, at the 23rd Psalm, and he gave a lot of insight into um, sheep behavior, so it was very helpful for us. But Mr. Keller, Pastor Keller, says that they get it from the dew on the grass. They get it out of deep wells that the shepherd has to pull the water out of, or they get it in simple springs and streams. But they never go to racing water, and they never go to stagnant pools, although lambs are prone to as they're being taken from one place to another, they will lean down and start to lap up whatever water might be nearby, including if the previous sheep that passed over that area have gone to the bathroom in it. So they have to be led to get to the right waters. I thought that was kind of interesting. What'd you guys come up with on that one as far as, Echo, you probably had, you said you had something on that one? Yep. For me, uh, uh, my little bullet points are it's living water it's god's word i have to lap it up and when i said heard that thing about the dew in the morning it was for me an application is i have to get that in the morning it, we don't always have to but it's mine is best in the morning when i can just r just read god's word and and see those mercies to new to me each morning Still waters. With, like I wake up in the morning and have my quiet time to just to sit and just look and how it's literally there's nothing Still. there, there's no one on it, and it's just perfect. It's a pretty picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anybody else want to share on that one? Let's go to the next one. He restores my soul. This one really hit me. Um, the the shepherd goes out every morning. He's constantly on kind of alert, but every morning he definitely looks over his sheep, basically one at a time, counts them, makes sure they're all there. Because sheep, if they lose the ability, or they lose traction on their feet, if they at all lose the fact that, all, that their feet are on the ground, they can't get back up. So if they fall on their side, they just sit there and they go like this. They can't get up and they will die um, after a period of time. And it's very common for them to be basically tipped over and they're called, um, they're called a cast down sheep if that, this happens to them. So the shepherd has to constantly be counting his sheep and when he's missing one, it could be it's just hidden inside of his flock, fallen over. And there's reasons that the sheep fall over. One is... Uh, a little a sh uh, sheep can get so um, heavy with their wool that it kind of drags them over. It, it's just time for it to be shorn. It's time to, to take off something, you know, get something off of them. Another is they could be, they could be an overeating, overeating sheep, and they just, when they sit down and to, to sit there, 
I'm not real sure how they exactly sit to keep their feet on the, their paws on the ground if they're laying down to rest, but they certainly have to have their paws there. But if they get a little bit too hat, fat, they just simply roll. And he's, he, um, this guy said, a lot of them will look for a little indentation in the earth because it's nice and comfy there. So they'll get their little bodies down in there, but before they know it, they're rolling over and they're just flailing. So he has to find them right away because if they flail too long, the blood rushes out and ends up killing them. It, it can happen within hours, and especially if it's a, a weaker sheep. So he has to go and he has to find them. These sheep, I don't know, how big do sheep get big? They can get big. Okay, so they have to be a nice, strong shepherd. He goes and he picks them up, and he has to straddle it to pick it up, or to get it to roll up. And then he has to, he straddles over it and rubs those little legs down to get the blood circulating. And then the sheep will recover quickly and go bounding off. But that one struck me as such a, such a picture. I could just, there's so many um, different stories in the Bible. You think of the, the loss, the, the parable of the 99 sheep being left and the one that he goes after. Um, and there was another one that I, um, there was another one that was in my mind I can't remember right now. Um, but there was just so many things, things on that. But the biggest thing was he restores this little, you know, this is the one that he's restoring my soul. And he, he's looking out every day to make sure everybody's well and contented. I think what struck me was, Am I humble enough to recognize I need to be looked over every day? I need to be looked out for every day. I need to be restored possibly every day. And not just, not a backslidden way, just I need that mercy's new every morning. I need that understanding that I can't do it, even though I think I can. And how humbling to recognize that it's the shepherd that has to set me back up, not me. So that one was for me, um, my little bullet points were forgiveness and relationship. I'm just, am I humbled to see my dependency and to admit I need restoration from God? Because I sometimes think, I'll, I'll, I'll figure this out. You guys that way or am I speaking to me? I'm preaching to me for sure. I know that. I need it daily. And that's where it kind of back to it, you know, have to go back to the living waters of his word. So what do you guys think about that one? He restores my soul. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. It is the only way. The, you mentioned something about he, he does it so graciously. He's not disgusted. This is his, this is his job. It's in his job description to, to restore me. And he's not disgusted. And when we read those verses, especially in the Psalms, where his bow is aimed at those that aren't following him, his bow's never aimed at me. It's, that's not the tool he uses on me ever. He is never that he's never mad at me. He uses a rod and a staff, which we will talk about, Charity will talk about next week, but he never uses, he never uses a whip. He never uses those things. He restores me. Yeah, it's, that one got, this one is the one that got to me too. The shepherd is assigned the work of restoration. The little lamb can't restore himself. Anybody else have thoughts on that one? I know. Yeah, and then, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You don't even release. Yeah, you're you're gonna die if you do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. S just stop it. Stop being so dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tipped over again. Yeah, I just the picture of that and the little le the little legs flailing is what I will definitely take away from this one. <laughs> yeah. 
We need a meme or a something or something. Anybody else on that one? This does go to 8.30, right? I'm not, okay. That's into something beautiful. Good word pictures. Next one. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness. We're going to pause for a minute on the for his name's sake, but we'll just go with the he leadeth me in paths of righteousness. Um, one of the things that about sheep, they're creatures of habit, and it's hard to get them to go, to go on a new path. And if the shepherd doesn't have good management skills, they um, can let them overgraze or, or overtrample an area. Sheep are very destructive from what I understand from this. Um, they, they are the worst animal on the, um, the forage and the, and the plant life that there can be, but they can also be the, the best, not the best animal, but the best at being able to um, used as you know, grass cutters and all that. It's all up to the shepherd. The shepherd has to get them moved from one place to another for it to work out well. Otherwise, they are destructive. Um, worse than goats as far as the damage they would do to an area. Um, the shepherd basically has to move them from one place to another at, uh, at least once a week. No, no more than, or no less than once a week. They have to get to a different spot. That's all the more they can graze in a particular area. And then when they get to a new pasture, what they see when they see that, kind of back to the, the first one, the green pastures, they bound out into that and the the way it, he was writing it, he said, it is fun to see especially the young ones go out because they'll kick their legs up and, and just bounce around back into the, their little play dates and they enjoy the, new, the newness once they get there, but they don't easily go until they get led along those new paths. Which kind of gets to us just, you know, God does take us down these paths and these journeys. That word leadeth, I've already, or excuse me, that word, yeah, that word leadeth, I already talked to you a, bit, a little bit about that, that it is a little more aggressive in taking you in one place. It's the same word, the same Hebrew, Hebrew word that was used in this um, verse in Exodus. It was Exodus 13, 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them on the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. So it's that, it's that leading, it's that same word of leading them to a new place here. It was Christ as the cloud leading them, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. In the paths of righteousness, it's always a right path. for When Christ is our shepherd, no matter what path and where he's leading me to, it's always the right one if I'm, as I'm following him. And that gets me to, so we can be bad sheep and really mess things up and not obey him. And we've all done that. And then we can rely on um, Romans 8.28. All things, even the way we go down the bad path, all things work together for good to them that um, love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. And that's so reassuring. The shepherd even gives us that reassurance that I, I will work it all out. There's no maverick molecules, as R.C. Sproul used to say. It all works in God's plan. So even the bad path that I might choose temporarily can be worked for the good, because the good shepherd will do that. What did you guys write down on that one? Thoughts on that one? And there's the, in his, for his name's sake. Yeah. Anybody else write something on that one? I wrote down that it's a journey. We are in exile. I, I picked that up from that 
meaning of that word leads. Um, one of those meanings was um, leading in, ex in exile, getting out of exile. He always leads rightly, even if I don't always follow rightly. Well, let's, let's do kind of pick on that for his name's sake. How comforting is that? What does that, what does that do for you when you see that particular phrase or these sets of verses wrapped up with, it's for his name's sake? What does that do for us? And it will be done. It'll be done right. He is our shepherd. It kind of ties it back to that. Yeah. He, knowing our character like sheep, he saves us for his own namesake. Yeah. Very good. Thoughts? I did read on that just today. They are, they, while they're not, they won't eat completely like goats. They will eat more byproducts of things that are used like peanut shells or, so somebody else may use it to make the peanut butter or something, but they'll eat the peanut shell. They'll eat other, other grains. They, they can be fed things in captivity that are, the peanut shells is what stuck out, stuck out to me. So I'm trying to remember what else I, it said there. There is a website called Sheep 101. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just saying, what else, what else is there about sheep? Actually, it said Sheep 101, and it gives you some general stuff. But Sheep 201 is if you want your own flock, here's where you can go to get them. <laughs> I don't want my own flock. <laughs> Oh my, that makes sense. I mean, bad sense. Oh. Yeah. Not even know. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. Because you're, yeah, because you're so wet. Yeah. That is a good one. That is an excellent one. Yeah, was there anything else that he may have pointed, pointed out? Because that's excellent. No, that was just yeah, that's an excellent one. That's an excellent picture. I think this picture of sheep, once you kind of go down it piece by piece, um, they are so darling. Um, but they are really a picture of us. They, the, the flocking mentality, the family mentality, even the family of God as a as a flock because we flock to those we want to that we are similar to and um just the whole that picture is an easy one to understand so the more we learn about sheep the easier it is to understand what what this life was like very good i'm going to close in prayer and um i think we'll we'll be done and out just a little bit early tonight holy god father we do look to you as our shepherd um, and we do hear your voice in this room. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this group of women who come out on a cold winter night just to hear just a little bit more about who you are. We thank you that you restore us and you lead us and you guide us um, and that you develop a, a scenario, scenario for every one of us so that we can be content in you. In Jesus' name, amen.